This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Glimsdahl, and my guest this week is Laura Gassner-Odding. Laura delivers strategic thinking, well-honed wisdom, and a catalytic perspective informed by decades of navigating change across the startup, nonprofit, political, and philanthropic landscapes. Woo! I couldn't say that if I tried. Uh, She's also a keynote speaker uh, and the author of the book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody and Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. Laura, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Hey, Nick, it's great to be here. Yeah, so I ask every single guest uh, one question at the very beginning, and it's what's one thing people might not know about you? So as you mentioned, I make my living as a motivational keynote speaker, which means I get up in front of thousands of people and I talk for 45 minutes or an hour. And one of the things that most people don't know about me and that surprises them and that probably a lot of your customer service professionals might be able to relate to is that I'm actually a raging introvert. <laughs> and so how do you feel? Because I, I relate to this in my, my specifically because of my wife, but how do you feel? Do you feel energized or you feel drained um, at the end of that keynote? I want to go back to the hotel room, curl up in fetal position and order room service. I don't even watch Netflix because it's like, it's almost too much interaction. I, I, you know, I think anybody who, anybody who interacts with people on a regular basis either gets energized by them or drained by them. And then you either get energized or drained by being alone afterwards. And for me, I get energized by being alone. I love the interaction with people. I love being on stage. I love those moments when somebody in the audience goes, ooh, or ah, or yes. But it is kind of exhausting (laughs) to do that sort of thing, especially when I'm trying to talk about an idea that I believe in so deeply. And if you're selling something that you care about, that you believe in, you also believe in it so deeply. And so it's like you leave a little piece of yourself when you do it. And so I've had to learn how to fake the extroversion on stage, like be LGO on stage, and then also how to remain true to myself when I'm there as well. So I'm like, the way that I describe it is I'm like 100% open with about 60% of my life. And I tell personal stories on stage. I connect what I'm doing to things that are meaningful so people can tell there's actual emotion and meaning behind what I'm doing because meaning matters so much. But I don't talk about everything. I don't talk about the stories I'm not ready to tell yet. You know, I think it was maybe Brene Brown who said that you should tell stories from the scars, not the wounds. Right. So like just being able to know where in the story to bring people in, how much to share, who to share with, when to share it helps me to figure out how to get energy from what would otherwise drain me and not just have it suck me dry. Yeah, the thing that I think is fascinating with introverts who specifically are keynote speakers is is amazing because you don't get energized off of that. Any any extrovert can easily get up on stage and be energized by the conversation they have, regardless of, of what they're talking about. But you truly have to believe in what you're doing and be fired up enough 
to convince yourself and say, you know what, this is worth it. This is why I'm doing it. And, and I'm not just doing it because I, I get excited about coming up on stage, but I do it because I'm fired up about it and I believe about it. And I think other people need to as well. Yeah, oh, 100%. Before I got into keynote speaking, I actually ran an executive search firm and I, I, I worked in the White House, um, uh, left that when I was 25 years old. I worked in the White House when I was 21 to 25 years old. And I left that with basically no ostensible skills whatsoever, but with a Rolodex that could choke a horse, right? So what do you do when you're like young, you're hungry, you've got a huge Rolodex and you don't actually have any real specific job skills <laughs> at all? You become a headhunter. So I spent five years working for the best and the brightest, learning how to do this work better than anybody on the planet knows how to do it. And then I had a moment of rage where I was so fed up. I was like, there is a way to do this work better with more meaning, more authenticity, more integrity, more profit for us, less you know, cost for the client. There is a better way. And I remember marching into my boss's office and I was like, there is a better way. And he was like, there's the door. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> I could either stay and keep doing things his way, or I could leave and do them my way. And you know, Nick, once you realize that you're not part of the solution that you thought you were part of, it just leaves you in only one place, which is that you're part of the problem. And I, that for me was untenable. I couldn't do it. So I launched my own firm and I would walk into my client's offices and I would tell them about what we did. And we can have, we can have a whole conversation about like where I messed up in terms of customer service and you know selling to what my customers actually cared about. But I was so excited about the way we were doing our work and the solution that we had that time and time again, once I actually got it right, which took a few years, it, my clients, my potential clients would look at me and they'd be like, God, Laura, you, you seem like you love what you do. I was like, yeah, how could I not? I'm doing this work the way it's supposed to be done and I have the best team ever and we are going to solve your problem. And it's a problem I actually care about. Isn't that amazing? And, and so for me, just being able to be energized about what I was doing because I knew it was the right thing created that contagious confidence that made my clients not want to hire anyone but me and my team to do the work, but it really came from not finding, you know, how do I pretend to be an extrovert for this moment of selling, but like, how do I actually attach what I'm selling to what I actually care about that they also care about too. And together we move forward. Yeah. There, I think we could just continue to sit on that question and, and, and dig for an extra two hours, but uh, unfortunately we don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, so I, I love what you're saying though. There's so much behind that. And I think there's so many people, so many people, too many people that have a ton of energy and they don't really know, and they don't have a purpose behind it. They are not focused on where they're at or they're not focused on the customer and they're not guiding them in the right direction. So I can, I can continue to go on a, on a rant and a soapbox on that for, for a long time, but I want to talk about your uh, book, Limitless, uh, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. And I pulled out a handful of questions. I, I could uh, probably pull out uh, another 30 or 40, but I want to stick to these few at the very beginning. Um, you kind of talk about success. So how do you define success? Well, so I talk about success in the book as this thing that's been given to us externally. Someone else along the path somewhere said, you should do X, you should be Y, you should marry Z, you should wear these clothes in exactly the right size, you should have the right house and the right spouse. And all the stuff that we were told growing up was success. And what I, what I learned 
over the course of those 20 years in executive search was that it was my job to call the most successful people in the world, the bold-faced names, the headliners, the ones who were doing amazing work and recruit them away on behalf of my clients, right? Because like, that's the job. So I'd find the most successful people, call them up. And here's what I learned. They all called me back because despite all that success, they weren't all that happy. And I was so interested in this idea that success on paper didn't mean happiness in real life. And so I started thinking about my own definition of success and my own definition of success was that bigger, better, faster, more, right? You always got to be making more money, the fancier title, the bigger office, the nicer car, the you know fancier vacations. And what I realized was that some of those things did make me really happy. I'm a princess. I like 800 third count sheets and first class plane tickets, no question about it. But mm -hmm. some of those things I didn't really care that much about. And when I was so busy defining my success through other people's ideas, I was achieving, but I wasn't happy. And so for me, I define success as, am I able to be present for the people that I love and the causes I hold dear in the very best capacity that I can be present in? And that's really it. Am I making the world a better place because I'm present in it? The If, the, if there is a need to make number and a want to make number, right? Like what's your rent or your mortgage? What does it cost to, you know, your car insurance, put food on the table, take the concept, take vacations, et cetera. But in between the, the, the need to make number, right? Like you gotta make your nut. And the want to make number is how many vacations are you taking a year? Are you flying coach or first class? Are you being philanthropic? What kinds of causes are you able to serve? Um, are you, you know, buying the nicer car? Like what are the things that you want in life? And between the need to make number and the want to make number is really how you personally define success and not everybody else around you. Yeah, I think one thing you said was I was living or I was trying to work to somebody else's happiness or somebody else's version of success. Where does that come from? Where do, where oh. do we see everybody else and talk about, oh, we need to get the, this house and this watch and this vacation house and this car. Where does that come from? Well, I mean, it can come from a lot of places. For me, I had a fourth grade teacher who was like, you know, Laura, you're pretty argumentative. You should become a lawyer. And I was like, well, first, of course, I told her she was wrong because, you know, <laughs> it was argumentative. <laughs> but then I was like, hmm, OK, maybe. And at the time I was watching L.A. Law, you know, uh, you know, Susan Day was, you know, this pretty lady lawyer. And she was, you know, dating Harry Hamlin, like handsome, you know, guy lawyer and everything was great. And I was like, oh, that must be what success looks like. Right. Like you have to like wear the right suits and you have to do all the right things. And I also was. Um, I was very sort of uh, politically minded even then. And I was like, I'm going to solve all the problems in the world. And at the time, everybody who was in elected office was a lawyer. So I was like, okay, I'll become a lawyer. You know, go to law school, become a lawyer. I'll get recruited. I'll run for office. I'll be the first female, you know, Democratic senator from the great state of Florida. P.S. That job's still open. There's been one lady senator from Florida. She was a Republican. So <laughs> there still hasn't been a Democrat. Um, but uh, in my mind, that was success because that's what I saw on television. That was like the one thing that I saw. And for, you know, and, and regardless of whether or not that was the path that made sense for me, that was the path that a teacher who really, to be honest, had no crystal ball or Ouija board or any kind of training in career development, like looked at me in fourth grade and said, you're argumentative, you'd make a great lawyer, like this passing aside comment. And I took it as definitional. So I had that. 
you might have had a parent who said you should be X. You might have had, you know, a, a friend who said you should be Y. You might have like looked at the television and looked at the Kardashians and been like, well, you know, I see what they're doing. That looks good. I'll do that. Like every one of us at some point has somebody. And usually there's like a high school counselor who says pick a college, pick a trade, pick a career, pick a path, pick a major, pick a something. And you go, okay, because that's what everybody else is doing. And the problem with that is when you're 16, 17, 18 years old being talked to by that high school counselor, the one thing that you don't have is an actual frontal lobe, which is, you know, the part of your brain that helps dictate good logical sound decision making. So we're actually asked, and this is the craziest part of it, we're actually asked to make a decision that's going to affect the rest of our lives when we literally do not have the brain capacity to make a good one. And so, I mean, is it any surprise that we all turn around at like 35, 45, 55, and we're like, is this all there is? Is this all it was meant for? And the problem is that we never stop along the way, either at the very beginning or give ourselves grace every seven to 10 years when we're changing so rapidly and the world around us is changing so rapidly to say, is this what success looks like for me? Is this what success still looks like for me? You know, when Limitless first came out, I did like 150 podcasts or so. And there was one question that I would keep getting that made me crazy. And it was, well, what would you tell your 22-year-old self? And I was like, my 22-year-old self who is listening to a podcast that was recorded over the internet via my, my wireless headphones on my cell phone. Like none of those four things existed when I was 22. So even if I did know who I was, which I didn't, even if I did know who I was, the world around me has changed so much since then. I mean, frankly, if you're listening to this podcast now in real time, we're in the midst of the Corona virus pandemic. Even if you had an idea of what you thought 2020 or 2021 or even 22 was going to look like, it doesn't. So all of the external definitions of success don't matter if they don't comport with our own internal definition of success. I love that. That was an awesome explanation. Uh, so when <laughs> one of the things that drives me nuts, but I want to get your perspective on it is when somebody says it doesn't matter if I'm in high school or if I'm 20s, 30s, 40s is and or it doesn't matter if I'm a parent or a coach or or, you know, student counselor, but somebody says, just follow your passion. How do you feel? How do you feel? I already know it's coming, but how do you feel when you hear that statement? I think follow your passion is the um, follow your passion is the spoken word illegitimate sister of the live love laugh tattoo. That's how I feel about follow your passion. Apologies for anybody listening who has a live love laugh tattoo, but got to get rid of that. Yeah, so, go get it removed. Go get it removed. Follow your passion is the career advice illegitimate sister of that tattoo. And here's why. Because when somebody says to you, you just got to follow your passion. All that says is as long as you find your passion, as soon as you find your passion, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Things are going to be great. It's going to be nirvana. You're going to be happy as can be. Food will have no calories. Everything's going to be great, right? Just awesome. But here's the issue when you find that thing about which you are passionate, it's not gonna be perfect. And so the minute something goes wrong, the minute it gets difficult, the minute you screw up, the minute life hands you a pandemic, the minute something happens that 
knocks you a little bit onto the left or the right, you go, oh, well, I guess it must not be my passion because if it was my passion, everything would be perfect. And I'd be like sitting at Coachella with, you know, a flower crown on my head and, you know, in a Zen position, everything would be perfect. And, and the, these, these Insta-fluencers who are like imploring with all their might for us to follow our passion, it's, 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 it's insanity. I would much rather see somebody say, I'm not going to follow my passion. I'm going to invest in my passion because when you find something that you love so much that you want to call it your passion, you're actually willing to get knocked around by it. You're willing to get gutted by it. You're willing to mess up and, you know, fall down and get up and fall down and get up and fall down and get up because you are passionate about it. And doesn't your passion deserve you trying to master it, you trying to perfect it? So what I tell people is don't just follow your passion, find something you're passionate about and then invest in your passion because doesn't your passion deserve that? anyway. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. So it seems like that they shouldn't completely remove their tattoo, the follow your passion, but maybe remove the follow and put invest in on top of, of your passion. Yeah, I'm all for people having a life doing something that they're passionate about. I mean, I just described my career in executive search where I my, my confidence and my excitement about it was so contagious that my clients couldn't help but hire me. I want people to live like that. I just want people to know that if you're doing something that you love and you're passionate about it and it's hard, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not that you haven't found your passion. Maybe you have. The fact that you want to keep going back to it is amazing. So I know we wanted to talk about failure at some point, but I think this is probably a good point and probably a good place to segue into that because I think, you know, we, we live in this world where we think failure is finale. We think the minute something goes wrong, the minute we mess up, it's over. We're done. It's history. Because what happens? You you graduate from high school, from college, the military, you go into the first like quote unquote job, right? And you're in your job, you get hired because you are showing some kind of competency in something. You get hired to do that thing. And then you get praised for it. You get promoted for it. You get paid uh, more for it. And you're afraid to step left, you're afraid to step right, because if you mess up, then what are you gonna do? You have to do this thing that you got hired to do. You have to do this thing where you've shown mastery, where you're good, you're competent. And that's not the way we learn and we grow. So think about, think about. Um, do you have any kids? I do. Okay, so how old are your kids? Uh, three and one. Three and one, okay, so your one-year-old is probably trying to, is threatening to walk, my guess, right? Yeah, he's on and, mission right now, yeah. Yeah, okay, so your three-year-old also went through that, right? And now how did your three-year-old learn how to walk? By doing the same thing the one-year-old did. Fall down, get up, 
fall down, get up. It's not like your three-year-old fell down the first day and went, okay, I guess I can't walk. Failure's finale. Your three-year-old learned that the way to learn how to walk was to just, as my husband says, fall down less slowly each time. <laughs> That's just what we do. And just in life, we're just falling down less slowly. We can just stand a little bit longer. But we, as adults, somewhere along the way, we forget that that's where we learn is in the failure. And so failure is not finale, it's fulcrum. It's the place where we grow and we change and we learn and we innovate and we iterate and we get better and we get better and we get better. But if we're afraid to fail, and if we're afraid to like dig in and invest in that passion, and we're only like, oh, I'll follow my passion as long as it's perfect, everything's great. We don't change, we don't learn, we don't grow, we don't figure out who we are when we are at our very best. And the whole idea behind Limitless is that in order to be the person we wanna be when we are at our very best, we have to mess up, we have to make mistakes. And actually I was giving this talk uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, a couple of years ago, and I got to this line, failure's not finale, it's fulcrum. And at that moment, I looked down um, stage left and sitting um, in the front row stage left was uh, Commander Tim Copra of NASA. Now, Commander Tim Copra of NASA has been on three spacewalks because he's a show off. And <laughs> I was like, finale's not, you know, failure's not finale, it's fulcrum. Uh, it, Except for you, sir. Yeah. Except for you. You're <laughs> kind of a you. big deal. <laughs> because for you, like, so I always say to people now, I'm like, so as long as you're not an astronaut, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be okay. If there is oxygen in your lungs and there's blood in your veins, you're going to not just, not just survive the failure, yeah. you're going to get better from it. So I, I encourage people not to just look for the path that, you know, is the, the, the promised perfection, but to really instead look for paths that allow themselves time to figure out how to master what they want to do. Yeah, it is important to fail. I mean, if and people say, oh, you should fail forward, I think you should fail, learn, adjust, and then try again. And then you're going to learn and adjust and to try again. And as you continue to learn and grow, you're going to do other things to improve where you're at. And it always helps that you don't fail where other people have failed, where you can have the ability to learn from where, where Laura has failed in the past, uh, where, where Nick has failed in the past. But there's so much to failing that you have to be able to grow. And you have to, I, I always like the, the forging, you know, to, to forge metal, to forge a, a golf club it needs to be under pressure mm -hmm. and you can't really without that pressure without that failure uh you can't really grow and and it can't get, get any stronger than than where it's at um and i i just love that love that analogy so uh, another another phrase that i i know it's going to make you very happy but uh what's your thoughts on the phrase figure till you make it oh boy i think i think Fake it till you make it is damaging. It's super damaging for for so many reasons. Um, first of all, when somebody says fake it till you make it, they're telling you that you, as you are, don't belong. Right? Like, where do we think imposter syndrome comes from? Imposter syndrome comes from feeling like you're an imposter, like you don't belong where you are. And you know, so I I also have kids. My kids are 17 and 19, so I'm I'm on the other end of the of the of the tunnel from you. But when yeah. my 
eldest was three. He was a walking, waddling, toddling ear infection machine. Like it's the, the second a drip would come out of his nose, I was like, oh, better get on the phone to the pediatrician because he's going to have an ear infection in 24 hours, raging scream fest. And, and you know, it was great because I was like, I can't wait to get a diagnosis. We get a diagnosis. He has an ear infection. The ear infection is the, the infection is the problem. Here's the antibiotic. But when we have imposter syndrome, what's the problem? It's not the infection. It's the imposter, mm. right? Like we get diagnosed as the problem. We have a syndrome. There's something wrong with us. So fake it till you make it means don't act like you act like someone else entirely. Okay. So that sets up a lack of self-esteem and a lack of confidence to start with. So now you're faking it on a false foundation because you don't even feel like you belong there. That's the first problem. That's just the beginning of it. Then we get to this place where we're faking it so hard that we don't even pay attention to what's happening around us. As I mentioned, I walked into the White House when I was 21 years old. I had volunteered on, the camp, on a presidential campaign I'm walking in, there are all these bright young and hungries who went to Ivy League schools and they're all wear they're all like wearing these like perfect, beautiful suits and they're carrying like their grandfather's satchel and they've got their New York Times and the Wall Street Journal that are all highlighted in dog ear. And I'm literally wearing my mother's suits from the 80s, like Alexis Carrington uh, uh, shoulder pads. I was showing my kids um, a picture of me in the Oval Office uh, a, a few months ago and they were like, mom, what the hell are you wearing? And I was like, I know it's Grandma Shelley's suits. I mean, like I, I like, all these, all these bright young and hungries had, uh, had, had, had the hand-me-down briefcases because that's a family heirloom. I didn't have clothes. And so I would sit there at these tables watching them all, like writing in their notebooks, like furiously scratching on all these ideas. And I had none. I had no ideas. I was like, what's going on here? I'm, I don't belong. I'm an imposter. So I would sit there and I would fake it. And I would like write things like pick up the dry cleaning, get the dog groomed. Like I didn't know what else to write. So I'd make stuff up. And while I was so busy faking it, trying to pretend that I was them, I was missing all of the relationships happening around me. I was missing deals getting made. I was missing the things that they were reading to learn more and get better. I was missing the schmoozing. I was missing like how people interacted with each other. So I was building this, this house of cards based on a false foundation so that I, 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 and then while I was doing that, I was missing the stuff I actually needed to make it, to actually get better. That's the second problem. The third and the last problem is that once you're so busy faking it till you make it, you've created yourself in the image of somebody else. So you don't even know if you want the thing that you're faking because you're not even getting a chance to experience it as you. So you don't even know if you like it. So you're so busy trying to pretend to be somebody else and achieve someone else's achievements that by the time you get there, you're like, who am I and who is this? And do I even really want it? So from beginning to middle to end, fake it till you make it is not gonna get you where you wanna be. Yeah, and the thing about that, it, it is the it's it's you are trying to fake it till you make it, but at the same time, when you are using big words and talking in circles, people can see right through that. And yes. so, when you're trying to fake it till you make it, it's not actually you faking it because people can see it. It's so true, and you know, we talk a lot um, about having mentors and having champions and all the people who help open doors for you because you know, the doors open from the inside, right? Like you got to have somebody there, but, and, and you know, in customer service, people know, like if you're, if you believe in what you're doing and if you're being real, 
even if you make a mistake, people are willing to like give you more patience and try a little harder and wait a little more and you're in it together. But if you're just fake and you're reading a script and it's not who you are and it's not what you care about and you're just parroting someone else's words. I used to see this all the time. I would have team members who would come with me to go pitch clients and, and they would they'd pretend to be me. They would do their best LGO impersonation. And I'm not gonna lie, I was really good at selling the work as me they were terrible at selling the work as me just like if i walked in and i pretended to be you i would be terrible at that too i think authenticity is so important because meaning matters so much that if you cannot connect to what it means to you you're just parroting someone else's lines you're just acting and most people are pretty bad actors yeah it's like Non it's like going to community theater. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say it's like it's like high school acting. It's not yes. non-professional actors, and you're like, wait a second, you're not really Romeo. Yeah, you're like, this is painful. This is really painful, and the popcorn is soggy. I am not happy here. And you want to get away as fast as you possibly can. And not only that, if the person then you know doesn't give you exactly what you want, or if the the deal isn't exactly in the right price range, or it's not solving your problem immediately, you're actually angrier that they wasted your time than before they started. And so not only are you not gonna use that company again, you're gonna badmouth that company all over social media because you're so irate about the, the waste of time, the interaction. So, you know, I, 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 would, I would walk out of those pitches with my team members and I'd just be like, okay, here's how you get better. Stop trying to be me. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't be me. And that's not to say I'm amazing. It's to say you're amazing you should be you because you're amazing go be you and they were like oh okay yeah. <laughs> and it's also easier by the way to be you it's so much easier to be you but you have to be you have to understand that it's not just about being a better version or a, a reflection of laura yes. right it's it's a being a a better version of of nick being a better version of mike it's it's finding a way to improve your craft, but still be you on that journey. Yeah, I, I um, so, so I'm, I'm a nice Jewish girl from Miami and I married a nice Catholic boy from the Midwest. And, and when I was growing up, I used to think that, um, I used to think that winter were like the three weeks in the mall where there was fake snow because we didn't get, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't know from seasons, right? Like you can't wear white <laughs> after Labor Day. Like I'm Miami, we were white year round. It's Miami. So I never really like got it. And I would go to the mall during Christmas time and I would see these beautiful trees. And I'm like, that one's all silver and that one's all gold. And maybe one day I'll have a Christmas tree and I'll definitely do that. It'll be this beautiful matching, perfect. Everything's going to be great. And then I met my husband and I went home for the first family Christmas in Cincinnati <laughs> and his family started bringing down from the attic these dusty, tattered, time-worn boxes that held these ornaments in them that were so audaciously ugly and mismatched. And, you know, this one's got somebody's name on it and that one's got a little crack in it. And this one's like kind of like tattered and yellow. And I was like, why? Like, don't they know? Don't they know like the perfect Christmas trees out there? The beautiful all silver and the beautiful all gold. And then as they started pulling the ornaments out and putting them on the tree, it was like, this one was from John's first communion. And this one was from, you know, Aunt Becky's bridal shower. And this one was when Michael learned how to walk. And, and I fell in love. It was like, it was exactly the opposite of what I thought I wanted. Mm. 
but the meaning that was attached to each of these ornaments, I couldn't imagine not having that. And so now my family, you know, my husband and my kids, we have a Christmas tree. And every time we go on vacation, we get an ornament from wherever we are. And every year when we, when we uh, decorate the tree, it's like, oh, remember when we were in, you know, the Bahamas, remember that trip to Lake Tahoe and oh my God, remember your food poisoning in London. And wasn't that the grossest thing ever? And, but we laugh and we tell stories and it's amazing. It's, and it just goes to show you that like the shiny, pretty perfect that we think is gonna be the thing that we all care about isn't. It's finding the thing that's actually attached to something that matters to us, whether it's, you know, whether it's finding out why we do the work and connecting that to our clients, whether it's figuring out what success means to us and then going after that with everything we have. It's, you know, having those conversations, the sales, the customer service, all of those things. It's attaching that meaning to something that matters to you so that when I tell you that story, you could see the tree, you could fall in love with those ornaments just in the same way that I did because meaning matters so much. Yeah, meaning matters so much. And the storytelling behind what you believe in matters, matters more than you know. Yes. Um, so Laura, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Uh, the first question is, is what book or person uh, in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? And then if you could leave a note to all customer service and customer experience professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk. Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Well, so the first I will say is over the course of the last year, I've had a chance to get to know Kara Golden, who is the founder of Hint Water. Um, I interviewed her for my next book about her last book that she just put out called Undaunted. And she told a story about when the COVID crisis hit and they um, had to shut down. She took a route. She took a route and she went and she was restocking shelves and she was there and she was, um, she went into Target and went into Whole Foods and everywhere she was going. And she just like put on a baseball cap and like went in and did it. And, and in some of the interactions, people realized who she was and that she was there. And because she was there and she showed up, they were like, not only do we love you and this is great, but we're going to give you even more shelf space now, right? The, like in the book, she talks a lot about just the value in building the company of showing up, of standing by her product, of just being there, understanding the customer and what they're looking for. And so um, her book, Undaunted, is absolutely fantastic. And just the power of showing up and being real and talking about why you do the work you do. So um, she would be, she's the person that I would, that I would talk about. Um, if I could leave a note to all customer service professionals that they would find on Monday morning, what would it say? It would say, um, find your why and relate it to the customer's why. I think a lot of times we find our why and we think that's good enough. My why was I wanted to do executive search work in a way that was uh, more in had more integrity to the way I wanted to do the work but I also needed to make sure that the client understood it. So I mentioned earlier that I made a mistake in the first few years of trying to sell the work. And the yeah. mistake that I made was I was so geeked out about how our process was better. It was different. It was more efficient. It was this, that, and the other. I was so geeked out about our process that I would walk in and I would talk about our process. And I had like a 50% hit rate on what I was selling. And finally, one day, a friend of mine was on a search committee and we didn't get the search. And I was like, what, what gives? Like, come on, Darren, like what happened there? Like, you're my friend, like, didn't you stand up for me? And he was like, Laura, do you find great candidates? And I was like, of course we do. We're an executive search firm, that's table stakes. And he said, you never said that. 
you walked in and you talked about your process and how you do the work and your pricing and your people and you know all the things like your deck your deck had like your your logo and your mission statement and your bio and all that and he goes it wasn't until we got to like page 10 that you even talked about us mm. he said every other firm walked in and said we find great candidates now let me tell you how so my problem was that i figured out something that worked but i forgot i figured i understood my why but i forgot about my customers why so then i started walking and i was like we find great candidates now, let me tell you how we do it and why it's better than everyone else you're going to talk to today. Once my clients understood that their problem was my problem and I was going to hold their problem in my hands until our collective problem went away, I was unstoppable. Yeah. So find your why, but make sure you connect it to your customer's why. That's, uh, that's some sound advice. Uh, Laura, what's the best way for my listeners to find you, to connect with you or other ways? Sure. So all my good friends call me LGO, Laura Gassner Odding's a lot of name. So um, I am at Hey LGO on all the socials and they can go to HeyLGO.com um, as a shortcut. And if they're interested in learning more about how to find their own definition of success, they can go to MyFourQuestions.com and take a very short, quick four question quiz um, that'll help them figure out how to find their own definition and things to do to achieve it. Good stuff. Laura, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I wish you nothing but success. Thank you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them the link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast.